Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have another special guest with us here today, and we also have Tim Kelly helping us out in the interview. What's going on, Tim? Howdy. What's going on, man? Dude, I am ready, man. We're going to talk some mobile home parks, and we have the man here, Glenn Easterson. What's going on, Glenn? I'm doing great. It's actually Glenn Esterson, but it's a common confusion. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at me, man. I'm sorry. Glenn Esterson. I apologize. No, you're good, Mike. You're good. <laughs> uh, I'm doing wonderful today. It's been a very active year so far, and uh, you know, I'm blessed to be a part of it. Oh, wow. No, I, I believe that. I mean, you, you just had, you said, a 90-hour work week this week, right? Just yeah, it's been a long one this week. A few planes, for sure. Goodness, man. The, the travel must be crazy, but... Uh, but yeah, but you I mean, it sounds like you've been out there crushing it. For those of you guys who don't know, Glenn is the vice president in Atlanta for Marcus and Milchap. So very, very prestigious title there. And uh, I'm sure that comes with a lot of busyness. So, right. A lot of planes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, we're building a pretty robust team. So I'm uh, getting guys set up all around the different quadrants of the country. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, uh, well, Glenn, you know, we, we also hear that you have a book coming out, which is, uh, it's exciting. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah, I, I, I got put into a position of having more time off than I've had in, in decades. And uh, I took that, you know, 60 days and, and wrote a book. And uh, it's a 270-page book or so, and it comes out here in a couple of weeks on Amazon. And just yesterday, I sold the first hard copy yet uh, to, a, to a veterinarian from uh, Mexico, who's starting to buy parks in America. And Outstanding. It was, uh, it was a neat feeling selling a first book. Wow, man. Well, we're definitely going to get into a little bit of that in, in this interview for sure. Uh, but congratulations uh, on the forefront. So do you mind just giving us a little bit of a background on yourself and how you got started in investing? Sure, sure. So I, I came from a fairly unconventional background. Um, I took every wrong turn known to man and uh, found myself in a pretty precarious spot when I was in my early 20s. Um, after getting through some challenges, I, I came out the other side saying, hey, I'm going to get my act together. And uh, I talked to my dad, who's throughout my life been my biggest resource and supporter and uh he said well let me let me set you up with a couple of my friends who are doing some giant things in various worlds and he met me i met with a banker i met with an attorney and i met with a doctor and i met with a uh, real estate investor all very accomplished gentlemen and after hanging out with them for a few days and going through kind of what they do i i said you know i think i want to be an attorney and i said i, I think i could deal with that and i was going to be a real estate attorney and uh, while I was waiting to get into law school, I, I had been accepted to Nova Southeastern in, in, uh, in Florida, South Florida. And while I was waiting, 
like eight months to start the year, I started hanging out with the real estate guy more and more. And he owned a bunch of, you know, D plus C minus apartment buildings in South Florida. And I was watching this guy collect twenty, thirty thousand dollars in cash, you know, every time that was, you know, rent was due. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. And um, he said, why don't you go get your real estate license and you can come help me, you know, do this stuff. I said, okay. Well, short story is like, you know, a year later, I had made my first hundred thousand dollars and I had managed, you know, three, 300 plus of, uh, section eight apartment buildings um, or apartment units. And I made some money at 25 years old. I said, oh, I'm going to make it I'm gonna do something different in life. And right. I bought a farm and, and started looking at investing for myself. And uh, when I was 28, I bought my first trailer park. Uh, at the time, we called them trailer parks. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, it was every bit of a trailer park. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I got it way in over my head, but managed to pull it off somehow by the end. But boy, did I go through the ring. Um, made every wrong move, had nobody. I now moved, you know, to, to Asheville, North Carolina from South Florida and literally nobody. And um, it was uh, it was a learning curve. So, I, you know, 20 years later, here I am. Uh, you know, and it's uh, uh, I never expected to be in this industry, never thought I would be. You know, somebody that people are coming to for, you know, questions and answers and advice and guidance and, you know, just straight talk type of stuff. But my phone doesn't stop ringing now. And, uh, you know, I sell a lot of deals now. So, that is awesome. Uh, it turned in from a, oh, yeah, I have to do this thing to like, wow, I'm passionate about this. This provides me purpose. This has helped my family. And now now I kind of know a few things and, and I really enjoy my life now. You know, it's a that's awesome. it's 180 from where I started at, you know, when I was 24 years old. Right, right. Wow, that's crazy. That's an incredible journey. And uh, and I'm sure on this end, even though the busy work can definitely get stressful, it feels good, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, even though, like, I might work 90 hours in a week, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind at all. You know, it's uh, it's engaging. It provides purpose and it provides a hell of an income. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's, it, I'll work 90 hours a week, every week. If it's, uh, if I keep feeling this way, you know, and balance is important to me. And, and oddly with this much work, I still feel very balanced. I see my children every day. We have dinner every night. We play on the weekends and all that kind of jazz. We go on more vacations than, than we're probably, uh, than we probably should. <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 oh, man. it's that's awesome though. That is awesome. So, so, I mean, we, we talk about mobile home parks here and, or trailer parks, right. As they were. Um, and it's so uncommon, you know, a lot of people really don't talk about it. Um, I'm sure it's probably picked up a little more volume you've seen in, in, uh, in recent years, but, but still, it's, it's still kind of an ugly word. There's still some of my clients who won't connect with me on Facebook or on LinkedIn because they don't want their their colleagues and friends to know that they're involved in the shady business of mobile home park oh, uh, ownership and, they, and they're fairly large owners i mean uh one of my real good friends he lives in raleigh he has uh, you know 1500 units right now and i've sold him a good bit of that and 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 sold for him and, he, and still years later we, he doesn't want to connect with me on social media my goodness <laughs> man wow that is crazy it's you know it's got this shade on this industry that we're, we're a bunch of slime balls Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, there's been other efforts from you know decades of being slime balls that kind of gave us a bad name, you know. Right, right. Um, and if, if if anything in life that I can do, it's I'm trying not to be slime. I'm trying to be as you know integrity filled and, and straightforward as a human can be. Because man, if you were in my shoes and I was in your shoes, 
I wouldn't want somebody giving me some misadvice or something like that or, or, or you know, so it's true. one of those things that, you know, it's, uh, I've, been, I've been kicked up and down every road in the United States. And uh, when I finally stopped getting kicked around, I realized I'm just, I'm just going to be the best that I can be with providing help to the people that want it, whether I make a buck or not. Right. And, you know, eventually it does well for yourself, I guess, you know. Right, right. I bet, I bet. So, so why mobile home and park investing? Like why mobile home parks over everything else? That's in the There's so many compelling reasons right now. Um, but I would say for me, when I'm talking to people is the, the rule of supply and demand. It, it always boils down to, you know, how much supply is there of a product and how much demand is there for that product and somewhere where they cross, it tells you if it's a good business to be in or not. Mm. And with mobile home parks, it's a limited supply. There's, you know, by some estimates, maybe, you know, 20,000 parks over 15 units in the United States, give or take. You know, it might be more, it might be less. I have 18,000 parks in my database, and that's only about two-thirds of the country. So I, I'm thinking it's probably more. Um, but uh, with, with, when you think about that, there's still hundreds of millions of people living in, in, in you know, in, or a hundred and something million people living in mobile home parks. And that's not a hundred, I'm sorry. Uh, 22 million people living in mobile home parks, and that's uh, uh, that's 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 a an interesting balance there because yeah. they're not giving any more zoning. Right. They're not giving you know new developments. I think I've seen two new developments come up in the last two years, and they were mostly out west. And you know, with 22 million people living in mobile homes, and about a third of that living in parks, and only a very limited amount of parks, and of those parks, a very very limited amount above 50 units. And even less that have any kind of quality to them, you have some real upside there just in the inherent value of the piece of dirt with the correct zoning. So for me, that's the basis of a good investment is you have a limited supply and a high demand. And there's not making any more of this stuff, at least for the foreseeable future. Eventually, America and the government will, will kind of clue in that this is an important, important thing we need because of our housing crisis and it ain't going to get any better anytime soon. You know, one more pop of the bubble, it's only going to just exasperate the problem we're having now. And we're looking pretty close to being on the popping of that bubble. <laughs> you know, so right, when right. You're with all these kind of things, hey, that makes sense. Yeah, you're going to work a lot harder in this business than you are for an apartment building. And you just, just hands down, even the easiest deal is not easy. Um, and uh, when you're buying it, if you're buying it and it's the easiest deal, I, I guarantee you we charged you a lot for it. Uh, so it's going to take you longer to get to your deal. Right. Uh, but for, for most guys like Tim and, and the guys that I work with, they're looking for some value add. And as Tim will attest to, there ain't nothing easy about value add. Um, it's, it, it takes commitment to get to point A to point B. So those all kind of things I, I like. And, the, and the, the rents are so so crazy low right now. Like uh, I just evaluated a park. The lady's never rented, uh, never raised her lot rents, period, ever. She's got people paying $65 lot rents. That live there. What? Okay. A market of three hundred to three fifty. Okay, her oh. highest rent is only one fifty at her park, and that's great for these tenants. They made they 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 got a promise from a seller. The seller has lived up to the word forever and ever. Unfortunately, the seller is now going to be in a position to not get as much money when she sells. Right. Right. Um, and so I, I like to teach people: hey, instead of just jamming those rents down those tenants' throats and uh, you know forcing them to keep paying up, maybe there's some other upside we could look at. 
to schedule out the yield that you're trying to get over a period of years and not force feed these tenants, you know, double rent increases and things like that. But right. you know, when you have a park that far gone, it's either you're not going to get new capital invested into it to fix it because you can't raise the rents high enough to justify the yield, or you're going to have to put it on to them and they're, you might end up in the newspaper and that, that sucks. <laughs> it sucks when you end up in the newspaper. Yeah. Better or worse, whether you're in the right or in the wrong, it sucks to end up in the newspaper. Um, so, hey, hey, Glenn, that reminds me a lot of, you know, your amazing book, The Mobile Home Park Manifesto, um, that not only does it have everything you would ever need to know about the mobile home park space, but you dive, dive deep into being an empathetic capitalist. Yeah. Share, share with us about, about what that term means to you, man. Sure. So, it's kind of a, a term I coined in my book, The Empathetic Capitalist, and it's I'm capitalism full steam ahead, man. But, you know, capitalism is a, is a tricky bitch. Excuse my language. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a two-sided sword there. And capitalism left untethered is going to digest itself and it's, uh, it cannibalizes itself and it cannibalizes its, its base um, because, man, profits, 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 right? So, so what ends up happening is the people on the bottom of that rung really just get you know, they, they get taken advantage of almost uh, and through no fault of, of anybody's, but just capitalism. So when you add the empathy aspect to it, you know, and it's become an empathetic capitalist, it's coming from the side of the, the, the viewpoint that, hey, I could be that tenant living in that home. And if I'm already kind of stretched in for whatever reasons, maybe, you know, they got some, some mental health issues and can't have a, a full time job. Maybe they've got a uh, a, a criminal background for some pot charges that shouldn't be there anyways, and, and they can't get a good job to get good pay. Maybe they got you know some alcoholism or something going on, or maybe they're just good old retired people on, on a fixed check, and you're taking them up in, in rents that to us fifty bucks, big deal. But you know what also costs fifty bucks? An inhaler. An inhaler costs fifty bucks. You know all these different medications that they're already stretched on. If you go up fifty bucks, it's going to cost something else. And there's other ways to do that to a tenant that can make it not as unbearable for them because chances are you have other upside available in your park and will we'll, you know, be able to exercise either vacant lots or tenant conversions or, you know, or even park-owned home conversions to tenants. And, um, you know, if, if, to raise the rent before you exercise that upside, in my opinion – might be on the heavier side of capitalism and on the lower side of empathy. Uh, and so I really try to teach that approach. When, when I was younger, I had nothing. And when I was young, my parents, you know, were, 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 were you know, well off and did, did lovely. But when I left on my own, I, I've had nothing. And, and I raised my kids through nothing. And I remember when a landlord would raise the rent on me and I'd literally be thinking, geez, are we going to be out on the streets if I can't, you know, make an extra buck? And I, you know, during the recession, I almost lost my farm and my park and all this stuff. And I got these things coming in and, and everybody's getting more expensive to try and cover their end. And I'm just thinking to myself, this just ain't fair. What if somebody gave me three months just to catch up and then I could pay them off over time? That would help me out and most likely help them out in the long term if they understood the, the philosophy. So that's when I took over my first park, I started using that kind of morality and guidance when, when thinking about evicting people. But of course, some people just need to be straight evicted. Uh, but the good guys, I've, I've always decided, you know, like I've been a good guy and I just had hard times. And the guys that 
help me help me out were more empathetic than the guys who said, no, I can't do nothing for you. And those people have resonated with me as a human being that, uh, that, that I decided at some point in my life that that's a better way to be, even if I'm going to make less money. And honestly, I've made more money, uh, you know, so it was, you know, an interesting balance to find in there. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That is really awesome. And then it's a great point. I mean, I love, I love that idea of empathetic capitalism, right? It's a different approach to it. And, um, and I love that because, you know, you're talking about the money is not being as important as adding value to people's lives, right? Uh, to, to folks that you can help. I mean, obviously there are folks that and people are unhelpable, <laughs> unhelpable, right? And sometimes you got to kick someone out on the street for them to, to get it. But you know, Hey, but there, are, but there are folks out there that are just good people. You work with them. The money's not as important because you can't take it with you to the grave, right? So what? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, it's only 50 bucks to them. You know, who cares? It's only a $50 rent raise. At the same, at the same, to- on the same note, dude, it's only 50 bucks. What do you care about getting another 50 bucks? You right. know what I mean? That's and uh, then you balance it out. If you understand your tenants and really, if you don't understand your tenants, you better go back to the beginning and start learning your tenants mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, chances are they got some hardship stories that will spin your head. Not all of them might be true, but the true ones will still kind of go, wow, I had no idea that you had three family members with cancer in hospice right now, you know, and all these kind of things. And, and, oh, and you're covering what you can for them. Oh, I understand now a little bit more about why you're, you're having some struggles here. Right. You know, and, you know, for us, we, we, you know, for a lot of owners and capitalist guys and, you know, people in business, we just say, well, hey, look, A plus B equals C and, and you're not getting to C, so uh, you got to go. Uh, but there's a lot of in-betweens that, that will help maybe a different approach. And really, you kick some guy out who's been a good tenant and he gets laid a couple times a year because he's got some stuff going on, but he catches up. Big deal, man. It's little, you're coming out ahead if he catches up versus having to re-rent the unit and go through that whole process. You know, uh, oftentimes you're going to, you know, a vacant lot might sit there for a hot minute. The vacant home you might rent quicker, but you're still going to have to, you know, renovate it and get it back up to grade and all that kind of mess. So, I mean, it washes out, in my opinion. You know, I mean, if you're only getting three hundred dollars above your lot rent for a home, that's only thirty six hundred dollars a year. I don't know about you, man, but that's a pretty cheap reno, and that's like almost every time I turned a unit was twenty five to thirty five hundred dollars. And uh, geez, I'd rather that guy stay there if I could work with him. I'll make a friend. I'll make somebody who's loyal who eventually catches up, and then you know I'll probably have this guy for a while. And when I do need to raise rents, he'll understand because I've always worked with him. Before. There you go. Exactly. You know taking a more holistic, comprehensive approach to, 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 to where you're trying to get to and seeing if, you know, it's, uh, you know, my, you know, my dad used to always tell me there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, you know, and, uh, don't, you don't have to just do it, you know, do it the way it's always been done. You can think of more positive ways to get the same results. Right. Absolutely. So, Hey, Glenn, being, uh, very successful in both investing and, brokering and, and selling mobile home parks. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people in our community and, and new investors that are starting to explore this space. Um, a lot of them. What are some of the things, new investors, whether they have any experience in investing or not, what are just some of the key things they should be paying attention to as they're starting to invest in mobile home parks as they begin their mobile home question. Right. Question. Right. So there's a few kind of, you know, top five things or whatever you want to call it that you could probably read a thousand blogs about. 
right? But in my mind, what comes to mind when you're thinking about coming over either from a uh, from from a non-MHP real estate vertical or just, you know, hey, I'm 28 years old and I want to buy some first piece of real estate and I've never done this before. The way that I explain to people is like, man, don't let your ego get in the way on this one. Buy a cheapy, easy, low yielding property, location, location, location. Okay. No deferred maintenance, all the, the straight and standard stuff. Think of it as a college education before you go to medical school or think of it before you start your practice because you're going to want the easiest piece of pie to digest this first time and, you know, then learn how to build up on the harder stuff. So the first things you should be looking for when, when you go and look at your very first deal is, A, get some kind of third-party advisor helping you, whether it's a broker, a former owner, a, a local owner, whatever it might be. Get somebody to help you understand, navigate, you know, the, the Q&As that you got to go through and look deeply into the infrastructure of the park. I don't care if it's well or septic or, or public utilities, but look deeply into what those lines are made of, who owns the lines, how many times this thing's been repaired, go pull permits and all that kind of stuff, because that's going to be a major cost factor to you. Mm. Um, if, if you end up buying, you know, some CPVC 1985 glued together by, you know, the mom and pop water lines and then orange for clay pipes throughout your whole park, I don't know what kind of pipes I have. Yeah, you know, but it works fine. You know, like, you know, you're going to you're going to run into some problems, you know. So look deeply into the infrastructure. Secondly, look very deeply into the municipality. Are they a monster to work with or are they pretty easy to work with? How many times did they come over and harass the current owner about doing this, that or the other? I know at my you know tertiary town in, in eastern Tennessee, when I bought my first park, those monsters were there like every week telling me something new to do. It was like, you know, like, geez, pick on the new guy here. And it was uh, like not something I was prepared for and it was very costly. Thirdly, you know, look into the landlord tenant laws, you know, like what, what can you do to get uh, some riffraff out of your park? You know, how do you get these guys out of there? You know, what is the steps? You might be surprised. Some states, cities, municipalities might have 90 days of some knucklehead staying in there before you can actually get them out. Uh, some places might be easy. Um, some places might be 180 days. I had a lady in my park who knew how to game the system. She was there forever and turned my entire park into crackheads. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a terrible time. Uh, you know, I ended up with you know 30 units. I had back down to about seven units. You know, seven tenants and just oh. you know, that was in 2011. Man, I was not a happy camper. You know, that was. Uh, that was a, that, you know, so you got to watch out for those things. The, the, the next most important thing is right on that subject is the tenants. Who are these people? Go do some research about them. Just because they live there does not mean they should be living there. Can't tell you how many times I run a report on a park and find sex offenders. I can't tell you how many times I run a report and see, like, like just yesterday, I was running a report for a park in, in Florida and there had been 42 police calls to that park in the last year okay oh like the seller didn't tell us that you know wow. <laughs> uh, you gotta look deep on these things because yeah. um, the tenant base is your future okay if they are bad tenants you have a bad future so if you have good tenants you're gonna have a much easier future and be able to collect those rents and not deal with just the the nightmare issues that i write about in the book i, I mean straight up like there's some things you're going to encounter if you pick up riffraff in a park, and they're they're going to you're going to go, huh? I, I thought I I think I saw some trailer park boys one day, you know, and it's uh, 
you know, it, it can get that bad. Luckily, a lot of parks have upgraded over the years and they have a better vetting system. But still to this day, seven out of 10 parks I evaluate have more riffraff in there than they should be because they got that hard green cash in their hands right. and say, hey, I'll, pay, I'll prepay a few months here. And you got those vacancies and you're like, man, I, I would buy my wife a nice whatever the heck. And, you know, I, OK, fine. I'll just kick him out of his dad. Slippery slope. Man, I'm telling you, you guys, if if you are even remotely interested in this space, you need to stop, rewind that whole section and take notes on what Glenn just said. Because when we first started diving into mobile home parks, I knew the few things that he was talking about, not even everything, just as a horizontal level across a few of these items. But what he's telling you is to go vertical down into each one of these items, which is only going to save you time and money and headaches. I wish I knew what Glenn just explained to us and what he explained to you guys at the level that he did before I started investing. So uh, I'm telling you, man, like, for instance, we we wish and now we have it implemented in our due diligence to build relationships with city hall and everybody in, in the city, specifically the economic development office. And depending on the government structure, we have relationships with some of the, with the mayor and the city inspector, because they are the people who are going to walk the park and enforce the codes and enforce the laws. So what Glenn is telling you before you even try to put an earnest money deposit down or get this thing under contract, understand how, how the government works and who's going to be looking at the parks, how evictions work. I'm telling you, this is some gold, Glenn, that you're dropping, man. This is awesome stuff. Thanks. Thanks. I, I just say, you know, a lot of people don't like to get into the weeds, man, but like that's where you find all the hairs in the weeds. Get deep down in there. Dig, dig, dig until you are as confident as you can be that you didn't miss something. So when something does come up, it's okay if you say, hey, at least I saw it. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And then a year later, it's a big deal. But at least you acknowledge that it exists versus, you know, a year later, you're like, I don't know what happened. I, I have no idea, you know. And that's that's recipe for disaster. I mean, trust me, I was there. I went through it. I went so hard that I thought for sure I was going to lose everything I built uh, up to that point, including my personal home and, you know, my children's land and all that kind of stuff that, that we had because I didn't look deep enough because there was nobody to tell me this kind of stuff. I like, oh, right. <laughs> you know, it's a park. I mean, how hard could it be? Um, but man, that those three things, municipality, tenants, and infrastructure are, in my opinion, if you can cover those three bases, the rest of it, we can probably work out a lot of, it. you know, those three things uh, dig deep. And really before you, you know, maybe send an LOI, but don't send a, a sale contract before you've actually gone and, and done some of that research. Circling back to the the empathetic capitalists and raising rents because that is one of the biggest benefits and why mobile home parks are so attractive is because historically the lot rents are so low across the board. Mom and pops have been so afraid to raise rents due to their their worry and concern that they might have increased vacancy, right, and lower occupancy. People are going to just move out um, if they raise the rent. So what are your suggestions and what are your best recommendations for the actual amounts that people should cautiously be increasing rent and at what intervals? Right. So the short answer is it depends. There's no, there's no golden rule here. Right. Um, but what, what I can tell you is there's nothing wrong with raising rent. Sometimes you got to do it. Okay. Uh, but I, I challenge you to see if you have other options before you raise those rents. 
Okay. You might not. So let's pretend like there's no other options. You got to raise some rents. Okay. What I do and what I did back in the day and what I still do today is I create what's called a competitive set. I go and in, in, in my Google Earth, I have 18,000 parks all around the country. Okay. So when I, you know, come into a county, chances are I know at least two thirds of the park there because we've spent the time finding all the parks there. And I go and look at it and I, and I take a snapshot of all the parks right around the around this park, call it a 10 mile radius. Okay. Then I go and create a, a list, park A, B, C, D, E, uh, with the name, the address, the current lot rents. If I'm able to get them, most of the time I, I would call up and just pretend to be a tenant looking to rent the space and get that information down and get all the basic metrics that, you know, that you need. You might come to find out, hey, I'm the lowest in the market on rent. That's that that's unfortunate. You might come to find out you're the highest. Okay, well, you, wherever you are on the scale, at least you're being transparent and your tenants will say, okay, this is where we are. And now, even if you are higher, what values are you adding? Are you giving free water? Are you, you know, giving free lawn service, free trash? Uh, do you have certain aspects of your park that are more appealing. So write those down too. So your tenants will at least see, hey, look, I have to raise rents. I'm down here on the list and the, the rents are all you know above us. So what I'm going to do for you, Mr. Tenant, is yes, I have to raise your rents by $50 this year and then 25 next year, whatever it might be. But I'm also going to give you something in return. Maybe I'm buying you a new skirt for your home. Maybe I'm buying you some roof paint for your home. Maybe I'm having my maintenance man put it on for you. Okay, it's, that's going to upgrade your park. It's going to make him feel nicer. But uh, maybe you're going to add English as a second language to your park for free to help some of your other tenants in the park get a better job. For, you know, get a better job one day. Maybe oh, you're going to offer free free daycare at your office. You know, for four hours or something like that. And you're going to offer some benefits to people that you know can can really help them out, and that's going to help them absorb the offense of having a rent increase. Okay, maybe you've dedicated 10% of your lots to, hey, you guys are, are, are good people. You've been here a long time. You've always had your rents and you, and you meet certain qualifications. Now I'm going to dedicate your rents here at this level for X amount of time. You can that. do these things. There's a great group out of California, the uh, uh, Carlisle group, Ron, uh, Ron Singer and his daughter Hillary. They have some of the most impressive programs I've seen ever being applied to their parks all around the country and they're, they're fairly major owners um and uh, you know they they have no bad news on them they are loved by their tenants and respected by their tenants right and they're very successful i mean they're based out of beverly hills and they have been to their offices they they run a tight ship but they are the empathetic capitalists at the purest sense and so if they can do it let's keep replicating these models you know around other things so your tenants don't abuse them you have to raise rents fine explain to them why give them a list of where they could go if your rents are too high for them so you have your competitive set explain to them the improvements you're going to be doing to the park ideally do one or two of them before you raise the rents so it can look like you're you're making it you know a, a genuine gift to them and you know from there be honest be transparent don't be a hard ass about it. i need 50 dollars rents or it's not going to work well, maybe you could take $25 rents for six months. Maybe then you can bump it up to 35 for three months and work them up there as they're able to, to accommodate that adjustment in the period of time. Unless if you're trying to get out within a year, what do you care if it takes a few more months to get to where you're going? Um, and, and you can have a much easier approach doing that. 
I love that. I love that. That's amazing because it just, it just so um, empowers the fact that you're building that community, right? And you as that empathetic capitalist, right, have a care and concern for your tenants. And I think that transcends past mobile home parks. I think you should have that. It should just be human nature, man. Inherent across the board, right? Right. You know, like treat people well and we'll treat you better. You know, it's uh. It, 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 our industry just we're at the bottom of this income funnel, right? Like we're we're way down here, um, and so we have to just take an extra special approach to it, be extra extra like understanding that there's only one reason these guys are in your park specifically, and you have to acknowledge that they're not a piece of meat to be ground. No. You know, it's a, they're, they're a seed that you're trying to plant and let flourish. They want, you want them for 25 more years. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that's, that's hard to do. And if you treat them wrong, they'll leave. And if you keep them there, you're going to have nice three to 5% rent growth. Once you've stabilized your income from that point on with people like that, and they'll have your back because you've had theirs. Right. And that's, that's just human nature. You know, we, we're all callous today. And we, we look at things about, you know, what about me? What's in it for me? You know, scarcity and all that kind of jazz. But when you realize, man, you just change your mindset. You know, you can go from scarcity to abundance in, in, in just a flick of the imagination. Yes, exactly. You know? We're just so disjointed, man. Like, I think it's just with even with technology and how it's been growing. Like, we're now on our phones, like, all the dang time, right? And so... Yeah, we're just so disconnected from life yeah. and society. But you yeah. know what? Yeah. Right. And we, judge, we judge a lot of our tenants in our park as different than us. And that creates this wall of this superior, inferior type of thing. And nobody wants to feel that way if you're on the other side of, of, of the stick there. And by, you know, realizing it could have very easily been you in that park with that guy owning the park. It, it, it will help you give you some perspective because I've looked at a trailer park before. I, 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 I had no other no other choice. I was poor, you know, and that's where I lived. My landlord was a complete schmuck, and I was out of there the moment I got enough payday to get the hell out of there. And you know that's that's unfortunate for people like that because it could be an environment where it's like, geez, this is such a nice place. I want my grandma to live here when she retires so she has a more affordable experience. Not like, geez, she's living here and I feel terrible for her. I want to get her out of here as quick as I can. And that should be the gauge, in my opinion, of if you're doing good as a landlord. Would you let your grandmother live in your park? And um, Love that. I love, Yeah, I love that. You know, Man, that's, it really is. That, 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 rents, and would you let your grandmother live there? Yeah. And the answer is no. Mm, you might want to reevaluate what you're doing. I'm not trying to be preachy. Everybody's able to do what they want. But if, from yeah. my standpoint... You know, it would make me feel a little greasy if the answers to those questions were no. Yeah, absolutely. So one more, one more, one more question I wanted to dive into is, you know, a, a very unique, another unique aspect about mobile home parks is management. And you can't really compare it to managing an apartment community, um, you know, or a multifamily piece of, piece of real estate that's not mobile home parks because there are not a whole lot of property management teams that have systems in place to manage mobile home parks. Okay. So and the ones that are in place tend to be for like stabilized, well-performing, doesn't need a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, like all that components are much harder for a lot of these nationwide, the, these few nationwide companies that can help you out. I know some excellent operators around the country. They do a heck of a job, but you give them a heavy lift. It's, it's hard for them to do it. 
And for for me, just just to kind of give a comprehensive view here. If if you bought a park from me, you're you're one of two things. You're either a first time buyer or you're a seasoned veteran. But that seems to be on on my wheelhouse of people who I transact with from a buy side. Right. You know, there's not a lot of not, not a lot of middle there. Mm-hmm. So the first guy, I tell him, I know you're in California. I know you want to buy a park in Florida. But, you know, what you should do is either, A, move to Florida for a minute because you need hands-on experience if you're new in this business. Just dedicate the next six to nine and 12 months into this park and learn every step of it as you go along if you need to. If you're a seasoned guy, it's different. Great. So the questions I ask both of them after figuring that part out is, what's the downside on this deal for you? And B, how are you going to manage it? So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try and do offsite management, that's a component that, that can be hard. A lot of guys, oh, I'll just put some eyes and ears and get some free rent. Mm. Okay. You can do that. But what if your guy is like on drugs? You know, you don't know that. And, uh, and he's, you know, going to mismanage things. I, I had a manager that, you know, his deal was like, yeah, I'll, I'll collect all the rents for you and, and get this all done and you just give me free rent. And that, that was fine. And, and we eventually became like best friends and stuff. But in the beginning, what I realized he was doing was he was get, waiting to the fifth and seventh to collect rents so he could collect all these late fees you know, and, and keep the late oh, fees. No. <laughs> Which, hey, I get it. You're entrepreneurial in some way. But, <laughs> you know, I can't do it that way. Oh, that's that's not your business. Common. And these unlicensed guys, story after story, you know, Eventually, they might steal from you if you're a cash business. And that's just a fact. I, I got lucky. My guy never stole from me. I, and, and like I said, we became best friends. But he, he took advantage at times. Um, but uh, too many times, I, I know guys that, that have some eyes and ears and that they seem like good people. And before you know it, it's like you're talking to a broker and the broker's explaining to you. And I just did this with the guy in Charleston. Hey, man, you know, your rent roll equals this. And, and, and this is where it's coming into. But then you have these odd expenses, a lot of turnover and stuff. What's going on with there? And he started looking into it and realized his manager for the last three to five years has been re-renting units to people and then evicting them and then moving him into the next one so they can keep collecting the the application fees and they just move the tenant down the line and then have the, re- the renovations to do. It costs this guy $300,000 over years of, of this happening. Um, and that's, you know, he was trusting. He was trusting this lady. and yet. This lady was taking advantage, and now you know she's most likely going to be going to jail because now there's been a whole thing going on. Oh, wow. um, and that happens all too often. So what I tell new guys, get a licensed person. Either you do it yourself or go get a licensed person so you can sue them if they start getting a little creative with what they're doing. Because nobody wants to, to, to forfeit their license, and there's plenty of great property managers that are licensed realtors. Even though they might be residential, it's they could, if you teach them, the right way to manage so that's what I recommend for that. For the big boys that have lots of parks, they usually have the management fix. They'll bring in a team or put them there, or I'll connect them with another good group in the area, and they'll pay some kind of offsite management fee of you know X percent, um, and we you know we can accommodate that way. But uh, the value adds hard, and if it's value add, I personally think you should bring your own team and yourself down there and and start that upside until you you see where uh, the build out is going. And once you see it's on the right track, then fine, start taking your attention to your next project, but leave your team in place. That on-site guy who gets the free rent, he's, you know, it's the age-old adage, you only, you only can get what you pay for, it. you know? So yeah. Taking a big risk, too, because you never know. You never know. I, I had one guy at my park pretend to be a manager and walk to my tenants on the first of the month 
collected like two thirds of the rents that were there and then just bolted down. You know, it's like, what? You know, oh, he was a, he was a tenant of mine in the park and he, you know, I was friendly with him and he'd help me do some maintenance. And then one day he went, so I got a plug up his butt and told him everybody is now the manager, collected <laughs> the rents and nobody called me even verify with me and boom, he left. I was like, yeah, yeah, there goes four thousand. Oh my god, no! So you know, yeah, vet those tenants a little bit closer, you know. Yeah, Jesus, man, God, okay, wow, Glenn, this is this has been a phenomenal interview. So much, so much value here, Tim. Did did you have anything else you want to? Man, I mean, we could we we can get so so deep into it. So uh, we'll cover one more quick topic if you can keep it quick. Um, you know, for those analytical left brainers and the ones who are going to be doing the underwriting and, and the ones who are interested, well, how do you analyze? What's the difference between analyzing a, an apartment community multifamily um, versus a mobile home park multifamily? Um, and, you know, I don't know. You could fa- just leave in just a lot rents and you shouldn't really be factoring in unit rent. So what are some you know, the main difference when you're analyzing a deal, when you're really looking to value and put make an offer on a property? What are a couple of the things that you would recommend keeping in mind that would be most effective? Sure. Well, first you got to decide, are you the buyer or are you the seller? Right? Because you're going to evaluate a little differently, but hopefully right. you get somewhere in the same range. If I'm the broker helping the seller, it's going to be a little pricier. If I'm, if I'm a broker helping the buyer, it's going to be a little bit more conservative. And, you know, hopefully I can strike a deal somewhere in between those two numbers. So as as the things that I kind of tell people to, you know, the main difference is, for, and you hit it right on the head, it's the main difference in the underwriting is does this park have park-owned homes, okay? That's the first humdinger of all the underwriting questions, and I can't tell you how many people don't get it, despite me talking blue in the face about it to them. Uh, separate out the income. If your lot rent is three hundred and your homes are renting for six fifty, put three hundred in one column, put three fifty in the other column. The three fifty is not going to be capitalized. The three hundred, which is the lot rent, will be. The exceptions do exist, and in today's market, as frothy as it is, people are making a lot of exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, if you're on Prime on Prime in downtown, you know, best MSA in the country. Yeah, go ahead and capitalize that income. You're going to need to because you're going to have to find every way to stretch that dollar. And if you're a first-time buyer, maybe you don't buy that one. Um, you know, but if it, you know if you're in a tertiary market and you do it, I guarantee you're going to regret that decision. Okay, it's a, I was that guy. You know, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, and I regretted it. It was painful. I thought it was like an apartment. Uh, the way we underwrite now, we separate them out. Forget about park on home income. Let's see if it stands on its own with just lot rents. And then understand the different types of infrastructure, different types of management structure, different types of just like, am I in the, the Northwest with snow removal? Am I in the South, you know, the Southeast with a lot of, you know, grass cutting? Am I in the Southwest with neither? All that's going to have an, an implied effect on your expense ratio. It's not 35% is not the number to use. Okay. It really can be 30%. It can, I evaluated the other day, it was 62%. Okay. It was a lot rent deal. Um, I mean, these things, these things exist. So go through it line by line, be conservative, but be realistic. You don't know what it's going to cost to mow the lawn because the guy does it most of himself and you don't want to deal with it. Go get some quotes, get some ideas. Don't ballpark these things. Cause that's what I'm doing is I'm going through, I'm talking to the insurance, talking to the tax people. I'm talking to the managers. I'm talking to the, the third parties. I'm looking at the utility bills. I'm going through these things line by line. 
So I can understand that, yeah, Mr. Seller has a 20% expense ratio, but I don't think so. I think this is more like a 38% expense ratio. And a buyer might tell me, no, it's a 50% expense ratio. But somewhere you have to really narrow it down if you want to be competitive in today's market. And it's it's not 2012 anymore, guys. You, you have to you have to stop this archaic way of just looking at some of the ways that you may have been taught recently uh, to evaluate a deal. This market changes every couple of years. And if you want to be competitive, stay with it. There's a good deal in every single market I've ever seen. I don't care what recession or high point we're in. There's a good deal to find. You just have the underwriting is the critical aspect. Right. List a broker. And even if it's just, hey, I'm not going to use you to buy or sell, but I need your eyes on this. And I'm not going to pay you anything, but I want to develop a relationship with you. Hey, that's the story of my life. Right. You know, give us a call. We'll help you kind of figure out what we think is a real number on this. Uh, and, you know, and, and uh, don't, don't bite off more than you can chew. This first you know, deal or two, it will make or break your entire career. So, you know, use as much free resources as you can. Pay for the stuff you need to pay for. But don't bite off more than you can chew. Right. I love it. Glenn, this has been a phenomenal interview. Thank you so much for your time. Um, so, so much value add, added from this. Uh, we're running out of time, so I want to take you into the bonus round, but I've got four questions for you if you're ready sure. for it. All right. Awesome. So first question, what is your favorite book? My favorite book, I actually just recently read my favorite book, and it was called Never Split the Difference Ooh. by Chris Moss. Man, that was such an insightful book. Uh, it was it was phenomenal. I'm currently reading this one right now. It's Start With Why. And, I'm, and each chapter, I'm getting more impressed with it. I was a little mm, poo-pooing it in the beginning. But as I get further into this, I, I'm pretty impressed with what that author has to write. And then there was this other book that I read a few months ago that I love. It's called The Trillion Dollar Coach uh, about Bill Campbell. If you like business stories... Hands down, yeah. this guy was amazing. Uh, and I won't give you his credentials. You go look it up. But uh, an amazing story. So, so those are the three books that I've read. In the, you know, I read a book a week. That's like my thing. Um, and, you know, the, those were some in the last few months that were the most appealing to me. There's been a lot of books that you don't need to waste your time on. I'm hoping my book is one of those books that you think is actually a pretty good book. Uh, I try to keep it entertaining. I try to keep it, you know, uh, as real as it gets. And, um you know, we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. Man, I was fortunate enough to to be able to get a kind of a sneak peek and, and read it. Man, I was I was blown away. I thought I knew the mobile home park space. I mean, this this was a whole new level of education that I got. Uh, and I can't thank you enough, Glenn. That was it, it was amazing. And I'm I'm really looking forward to contributing to it too. Yeah, I'm glad. Outstanding. Thanks. Well, real quick, since we're on that, I was going to try and circle back to that, but what's the title and how can our folks find that book, Glenn? Sure. It's called The Mobile Home Park Manifesto. And I know manifesto is a dirty word sometimes, right? <laughs> it's applying my philosophy to the mobile home park world. And it's really built on the empathetic capitalist approach. Uh, the book is fully edited now. It's in the production team now. I just spent way more money than I thought a book would ever cost to print, you know, to, to make. And uh, we're coming out live uh, in a couple, it might be two, it might be four weeks, but out on Amazon. We're going to, we have a sign up uh, on my, on my uh, webpage, which is www.themhpexpert.com, where we'll send you a link when we uh, bring it out. 
and you'll you know 99 cents for a day or two and then it's going to go back up to the retail value of probably like 14 bucks or something like All that right. um then we'll have audio the audio book we'll have the kindle book and we'll have the printed book available you can also i, I believe order it through the website when it, when it becomes available as well nice all right well definitely make sure that you guys go uh grab that mobile home park manifesto it sounds like it's going to be a phenomenal book and uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes page for you to get to there as well awesome. so make sure you check that uh all right glenn question number two who is your biggest hero and why oh that's my dad it's a, that, that guy that guy is just, you want to talk about compassion and understanding i mean like uh, He's had a thousand reasons beyond the best reasons anybody else might have to toss a kid out the road, you know. Um, uh, he uh, he stuck by me through thick and thin, and, and he's my best friend and biggest supporter. And I, if I could ever get close to the type of empathy and compassion he provides people, I'd be doing well in this life. Amen. I love that. Love that. All right. All right. Question number three. What do you like to do for fun outside of investing? World travel, man. Me and my wife, we love travel the world. We're going right. to go to a couple of weeks. We're going to spend a week in Barcelona and then Monte Carlo. We just got back from oh, Switzerland, Florence. Uh, we go to Amsterdam a lot. And, uh, you know, travel, travel, travel. Anytime, if, if you can't get a hold of me, it's because I'm traveling. And it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, plane rides don't bother me as much as, as they do other people. And so we go to Europe as many times a year as possible. And uh, my, I, 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 that's my favorite thing to do outside of spend time with the kids and blah, 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 go right. things like that. But when, you know, when I think about just Glenn Eskerson, man, taking my wife to some of these four seasons and, and fancy places around the world that are just like, holy moly, that exists. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, nice. that's my favorite. Now that I can actually afford to do things like that. There you go. Hey, you worked hard early so you can play hard late. That's, that's good stuff. Go. All right. All right. Awesome. And then the last question, Glenn, uh, if you had three nuggets of wisdom to drop on those who are just getting started, what would it be? Really consider if this is how you want to spend your life. If there is an easier way to make a buck, and I guarantee to you there is, uh, and you're not passionate about this industry, you're going to find yourself having a hard time. Mm. Um, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, whatever it is you think that, you know, you have the potential to be, Maybe think about it. I often, you know, go back to those days when I was doing, you know, wanting to be a lawyer. I probably would have gotten to a, to, to a financial stable point faster. Um, but I'm passionate about this industry now. I wasn't in the beginning. And so once my passion came in, it became better. And if you can, that's that, that's one of these nuggets here is, is passion, man. Like, you know, if you're passionate about doing this industry, you're going to find a way to be successful. Um, if you're just doing it to make a buck and get rich, you might be like one of those deal stories in my book where it's like you took advantage, the system played you out, and you're spitting out a bunch of uh, foreclosure notices, you know. Right. And, uh, uh, and the next thing is, man, never stop educating yourself. That's that's your only real ticket out of this, this nutso time that we live in right now is education. Keep educating yourself and, uh, you know, learn as much as a human can learn about whatever topic you're interested in. Um, even if it's uh, banana headed, like, you know, the stuff I used to be interested in, you know, my college, things like that. You know, it's uh, if you're going to be in this industry, become an aficionado. Uh, learn as much as you can. It's going to make your life easier. It's going to help you develop your passion and your purpose. I love it. I love it. Glenn, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been phenomenal. I really, really enjoyed, I enjoyed this episode. And Tim, thank you so much for uh, for helping out, too. 
uh, asking some phenomenal questions, bro. Let's get. Yeah, started. man, it was my pleasure, Glenn. It's always always amazing connecting with you. This is usually our our usual time that we link up and hop on a phone call. Anyway, so it worked yeah. out for. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. So awesome, awesome stuff, Mike Glenn. It was it was it was amazing, man. I knew that you were going to bring a whole new level of uh, of gold nuggets and and knowledge bombs to our to our community. So I'm really excited to release this release this show you know i've really enjoyed working with you tim over the last year or two and you know our our saturday talks are are great and you know one of these days we're we're, we're gonna have some some real stuff to look back upon with each other and and i'm excited about that and and mike i know this is the first time we're meeting but i'm excited about the developing this relationship i mean you guys what you're doing for the veterans out there is such a wonderful thing and and you know any way that I can help contribute or participate or educate, man, that's that's my, that's my purpose. So you know, by all means, I, I hope we continue to do things like this on a regular and frequent basis. Absolutely. Now we definitely appreciate it, and this right now has already been so much. I cannot wait to release this podcast, and so um, that is going to be really, really impactful. Thank you so much, Glenn. For yes, sir. For sure. So, Glenn, uh, in closing, how can our folks uh, get in touch with you or your team? Sure. So, you know, I got a team all around the country now. We got 40-something listings at this point, and uh, we're going bonkers out there. But to to reach me directly, I'm as open as a book can be. Feel free to call me, 423-483-0492. I will either put you in touch with one of my, you know, one of my teammates that that can handle you as as well as, as as a man can and uh and i'll obviously be available for calls anytime you need me you can email me it's uh, uh glenn g-l-e-n-n dot esterson e-s-t-e-r-s-o-n at marcus m-a-r-c-u-s millichap m-i-l-l-i-c-h-a-p dot com and lastly i got the website you can go there and drop a note in there www.themhpexpert.com. Love it. Love it. There will be a link to all those in the show notes page, guys. So don't worry if you're driving right now and you can't take it down. Just go and scroll down and you can uh, you can definitely get it there. Glenn, this is awesome. Thank you so much for your time again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a good time, guys. I appreciate y'all. All right. All right. We'll catch you later. All right. Rock and roll, guys. Have a great time. Talk soon, man. Later. <laughs> outstanding that was an awesome episode thanks so much to our special guests and thanks to you for listening if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet make sure you go and do that or schedule a call with us by texting adpi to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today i'll see you guys next week